I want to ask that even tonight, God, by the Holy Spirit, that you direct our steps in your word and in this exhortation, which is which feels a little out of the out of the ordinary for me. And God, I I pray that you would uh, put it together, plant it in our hearts the way it needs to be for um, an impact, for a difference in our lives and in our culture. In Jesus' name we pray. Thank you, God. Oh, man. First uh, Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 to 4. First of all, then, I urge that entreaties and prayers, petitions and thanksgivings be made on behalf of all men, for kings and all who are in authority, in order that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Let's read it again. I'm going to read it from here. I'm not sure if uh, the NASB 95 is any different than the one I have, but first of all, then I urge that entreaties and prayers, petitions and thanksgivings be made on behalf of all men. For kings and all who are in authority so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men or all people or everyone to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. So many parts of this um, could be the focus. Um, And I'd like to pray at the end uh, of tonight uh, for, uh, I'd like us to pray at the end of the uh, service in obedience to this, as this, you know, passage urges. But I'd I'd like to focus uh, the message on Paul's reason for urging believers to pray for kings and all who are in authority. He says, he says this in verse 3, sorry, not verse 3, um, Uh, verse 2, halfway through, for kings and all who are, pray for kings and all who are in authority, in order that, so that, so that this can take place, in order that we may lead a tranquil, some translations say peaceful, and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. And he carries on saying, this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Paul connects um, leading a peaceful and a quiet life in all godliness and dignity. He connects that with God's desire to see everyone saved and knowing the truth. He connects those things, leading that life. Now, we know that in some places where there's... um, extraordinary persecution, the gospel is spreading. You know, and as I've often said, it's, it's kind of like a dandelion once it goes to that uh, um, stage, what did Matteo call it, the granny dandelion stage where it's silver and, you know, got the, it's ready to, you know, kind of go everywhere. If you hit that thing at that point, guess what? You're going to have dandelions all over uh, your lawn. And, but... So the gospel spreads where there's persecution. But here Paul is saying, pray for leaders that you may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity so that this can happen. 
so that the gospel can spread. This environment where people can hear without um, great trouble. It's a good thing. I mean, I look at how the gospel is spreading in China, and I say, God, do it here. I mean, it was probably a dozen years ago, I heard that it was something like fifty to 80,000 people per month were coming to Christ in China. Now, in a country that's, you know, 1.4 billion, well, that's an awful lot. Is there something I'm... Oh, that's an awful... I mean, you can, you can have fifty to 80,000 and it'll take a while. But in, in, here's Paul saying, pray for your leaders so that you can have this environment where you can go out and you can tell your neighbors about Jesus without fear of being thrown in jail, which is a lot of that is taking place right now in China. And in North Korea, the most persecuted believers in the world are in North Korea. Afghanistan is a close second, and it's horrible. And yet, God's doing incredible things. I heard, you've probably heard, that in Iran, it's the fastest growing church. Well, then somebody said, now it's Afghanistan. Fastest growing church in the world is in Iran. And the gospel's spreading among Muslim women. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Muslim women are going to have babies and raise them to know Jesus. Praise God. One in ten people on the planet is a Muslim woman. So I hear that and I think, yeah. Yeah. That, yeah, and a lot of kids and that they're going to influence with the gospel. But it, Paul is saying, pray for the leaders so that you can lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. Man, every culture wants that, amen? Or they should. The leaders might not, but everybody wants that, to be able to live in, you know, in godliness and dignity. That is an extraordinary statement. That God is, con- that Paul rather is connecting this whole thing of, you know, praying for leaders and living in godliness and dignity with the saving of the world. God, align us with your desire. Align our hearts with your desire. Now, uh, a couple of weeks ago, we went to the conference that we, you know, I told you something about it last week, um, about a good friend that's there and that kind of thing. While we were there, I was talking to, um, a, a wonderful lady who her and her husband have been pastors in Calgary for um, a long time. Um, and she was talking about a thing going on in their church where there was a division and there's extremes. And she said, people way over here and way over here and never the twain shall meet. It was kind of like, you know, this thing that happens when people are together, you know, we, we can create division. Somebody said, even if there was only one, one person left in our church, there could be division because it would be within me. Like we just have a gift for that. But this lady, in the context of telling me about these extremes, said to me something about how that needs, and, and she's right, that needs to get There needs to be reconciliation, and we need to put aside those kinds of things. But she made this statement that I've heard many times. Maybe you've heard it. We just need to preach the gospel. That's all we should be doing is preaching the gospel, getting people saved. Now, I would say, well, that's obviously um, a really vital thing. That's the center of what we're doing. Save the world. 
Of course that's there. However, so I understand that a lot of times we can stray, get focused on a side issue instead of the central issue, the essentials of connecting people with the saving uh, Christ, with the Savior Christ, so that they can have a, an abundant life, an eternal life. That's important. Um, and Jesus even spoke to the religious elites, his opponents, in his day, a few times in the temple, he had things like, there, it says there was a lady, I think it says 17 years or something, she was doubled over and she comes, of course, on the Sabbath. And I don't know whether Jesus even was willing to heal people any other day because it seems every account is on the Sabbath. Now, there probably were, but the ones that ruffled the religious elite's feathers happened on Sunday. And Jesus said, my goodness, he says, if you've got an ox, you'll untie it and take it to water, right? And there's one place where it says, I think it's the time with the man with a withered hand, and it says his opponents were watching closely to see, is he going to do it? Is he going to do it? Is he going to break the Sabbath to heal that guy? And Jesus looks around, and it's one of the few places that says he looked around with anger because they were... Like, they didn't want him to get healed. The guy's there. He's got the power to do it. And it's not like he had to, you know, work it up. Like, you know, it's like he spoke a word, stretch out your hand, and it's whole. And, and they're, they're cheesed off about it. And he just says, is it right to do good on the Sabbath or evil? It's like, you got, he's not actually making light of the Sabbath. He's actually elevating it. Of all things, I just had to speak the word. It wasn't like, you know, okay, guys, you guys all pray. I'm going to, oh, I'm going to work up my best hand uh, restoring prayer here. And, oh, God, it's going to be a big one. I'm going to sweat like John Boyd when he's playing his guitar. This is going to be tough. (laughs) And, you know, and it's like, come on, we'll do it, do it. No. He stretch out your hand and there it is. Uh, is it right to do good or evil on the Sabbath? You guys are putting the weight on the wrong piece of this thing. Like, you, you know, yeah, the Sabbath is important. You read the Old Testament. It's really important. God didn't just disregard it. But Jesus said, is it right to do good or evil? You're missing the point. The point was the Sabbath was made for mankind, was made for humanity to bless, to build up, to strengthen. This was for you. This was not something that, boy, if you do anything, and you know, they had so many rules. I, a guy that used to be in the church whose parents worked in the embassy in Tel Aviv, he said the Orthodox Jews, when he was there, and this would have been in the 80s, He said the elevators in the apartment buildings were set on Sundays to stop at every floor so you didn't have to go, "Uh." (laughs) like, seriously, that was the work. Like they, so they would stop on every floor and it's like, well, we may as well talk. We got time to get to know each other. I'm on the 38th. Where are you? (laughs) Like, it's just, you're focusing on the wrong thing. And Jesus said this. However, this idea of, just preach the gospel. I, there's something about this that troubles me. Because preaching the gospel, telling people, 
is central. But also, we need to... What we just need to preach the gospel is sometimes used to limit the scope of the gospel. What all is the gospel supposed to do? Just preach salvation? You can be forgiven. And that. No, the, the gospel is bigger than just forgiveness of sins. Uh, of course, that's essential. But part of our call to live holy lives is also justice and mercy and extending God's love to all. And some of that is going to happen, again, at the conference, through people like this, a guy named Brian Thompson. For the last, I think he said, it's actually about 15 years, something like that, he was the associate pastor at a fairly sizable church in Red Deer, but God shifted his focus and told him something along the lines of, If you take care of orphans, I'll take care of you. And Brian uh, is the head of an organization called Home of Hope. And I say it slowly because if you say Home of Hope, it sounds like you're saying homophobe. But it's Home of Hope. And um, Brian started doing this, and he's in several African countries, and he's in a few places in India as well, which right now, if you think of it, please pray, because he said right now the persecution in India has intensified dramatically, and the the guy that runs his uh, home of hope in, uh, and I forget the name of the city, in the south of India, he said he's under death threats. They, they're coming there and telling him, we're going to kill you, and the guy, young guy, says, nope, I'm not. I'm going to trust God in this. And God has, has covered him and uh, kept him uh, to this point. But this guy, Brian Thompson, is seeing part of the gospel is living out, caring for these people. And it isn't, I mean, he's presenting the gospel to these kids. But just like with people who maybe go... Uh, downtown, and I knew somebody doing this, they would go in the winter and take hot chocolate and coffee to the prostitutes in our downtown core to to show care, even if they didn't, in that moment, have an opportunity to present the gospel. Because, you know, you don't always do it. You know why I'm giving you this hot chocolate? Because, you know, like, no. Sometimes, you know, do the work and, you know, an opportunity is going to come up at some point. And so this kind of thing, it accompanies. So when we say just preach the gospel, it can't mean just say that God will forgive your sins. There's some works to be done that carry that out. And I, I love that there are people helping the poor with food, with medicine, with clothes, with education, with tools and training, with housing, with, through prayer, even when there isn't a response right away. And, you know, when you're praying, you don't always uh, get to hear that wonderful report of people coming to faith. I'm convicted by even reading that list, and I feel that I'm convicted by my and our lack of involvement in those things. And in 2022, in what's left, you know, seven months of this year, uh, seven, eight, eight, seven and a half, 
let's change that. Let's get more involved. Let's, let's preach the gospel in this way to more of the world. Now, this is a giving church, and I much appreciate it. And the church gives. Some of what we give is sort of legacy giving because we owned a building in Vancouver, sold it, and there's, you know, this is a church with a healthy bank account. Uh, you know, that's a rarity. But we need to give. We need to sow. We need the benefit of sowing, of, and not just sowing, giving money, but being involved in preaching the gospel by living it out. The gospel that looks like medicine for the poor. The gospel that looks like hot chocolate to a prostitute. Or these kind of things, whatever it might be. I'm convicted by it, and I feel we need to do something about this. And, of course, the current... Um, Issue, issue that's, you know, in the news. God puts specific emphases in the hearts of his people. Uh, certain people have a vision for nations. Hudson Taylor was like that with China uh, back in the, you know, uh, 170 years ago. He got a vision for China and went there. And, you know, all the missionaries at that time were in Shanghai and they weren't going inland. So he went inland and called it the China Inland Mission. He, he buried... I think two wives there in the course of taking the gospel. And God did wonderful things through that in him going in and even breaking cultural norms, you know, in terms of dress, dressing like the people he was ministering to instead of looking like a European. He, he did something extraordinary. God puts people, puts nations in people's hearts, uh, food programs, uh, medical aid, legal aid. Thank God for some way to get that because, you know, when somebody needs legal aid, they can't afford it. And so, you know, thank God for ministries like that. Again, uh, help for prostitutes, help for orphans, for, you know, reaching particular religious groups and understanding, you know, what they believe and approaching that. So this is the work of the kingdom. That's gospel ministry. And God has made it clear for... For the duration of, well, since the beginning of time, God has made it clear to humanity that he's a righteous God and he's a just God. That justice matters. Why do you think when there's injustice, even before I was saved, you'd see certain injustices and it's like, that does not sit right. We're, you know, the, the imprint of God is in our spirit and injustice is just like... You have to sear your conscience to be able to put up with it. Injustice. Why? Because God is a just God and we're made in his image. There's something there. It says in, um, uh, somehow I missed it or I wrote it small. I think it's Psalm, um, no, that's the wrong one. Anyway, I I missed the reference. Uh, Oh, Psalm 11 verse 7 says, God is righteous and he loves righteousness. He is righteous and he loves righteousness. God is a God of mercy, but he's also holy. He doesn't just say, well, I'm a God of mercy, so in this case, my holiness will have to take a back seat. No, he's always holy. He doesn't tolerate sin, but rather provides a way for us to be made righteous and have our sins taken care of so that we can be saved from his just judgment of sin and, and he makes that for all who are born in, in the earth. All people ha- can have that. 
All through the Bible, God makes it clear to Abraham, to Moses, to David, to the prophets, to everybody, that justice and righteousness are the foundation of his throne. That's, that's there in the Bible more than once, Psalm 89, 14. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. He says we are to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness. 18, 19, uh, Genesis 18, 19. He says that to Abraham in the context of the angels saying, we're about to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And he, the, God says, even to the angels, what I'm about to do, should I keep it from Abraham? I won't. He says, Abraham is a man that he put in place to tell his children and his children's children and to be a blessing to the whole earth that that uh, they are to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness. That's what God said about Abraham. And that was in the context of saying, judgment is coming where I've been repudiated, where righteousness is being just trounced and ignored. What does that say for our generation? I heard years ago that Billy Graham's wife, before she passed away, said, if God doesn't judge our generation he will have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. And I don't think she was just being dramatic. She's saying the, our culture, the culture, and, you know, she was, she was speaking in America, but, you know, in some ways we're ahead of America on the curve going downhill. So these kinds of things. Now, are you really encouraged by this so far? <laughs> Okay, listen, uh, uh, I'll give back more than I take uh, when we get to the end. I'll, I'll, I, f- I think you'll be encouraged, or I hope you will. If not, you'll be convicted and, you know, take it up with God. Um, <laughs> um, God, God says to Solomon, he's pleased with Solomon, because when, he, when Solomon has a vision, and God says, what do you want me to give? Oh my gosh, what a thing. It's like you write your own ticket. What do you want from me? <laughs> Have you ever heard of a Corvette? <laughs> no. He, what does he want? He doesn't want riches. He doesn't want a long life. He says, I want wisdom for what? Just so that he can be really wise and everybody else say how great he is? No, he says, wisdom to judge your great people, Israel. Wow. I want wisdom so I can... And it says God was so pleased with that answer. And I think that's the grace of God working in him. God was so pleased with that answer that he said, because you asked for that and not for wealth and wisdom and long life, I'm going to give it to you and all the other things you didn't ask for. It's like, God, try me. Uh, <laughs> you know, he says, no, I know what you're like. But here, when the queen of Sheba comes to see Solomon, she bears witness to it and says... Blessed be the Lord who delighted in you, Solomon, to set you on the throne of Israel to do justice and righteousness. Christianity didn't originate under a political system like ours. It had to spread and grow under uh, political and religious conditions that were not favorable. They were contrary. But as it spread, it influenced societies. It influenced cultures everywhere it went. Corinth, you know, we read the, the letter to Corinth, and it's like, wow, they had the, the gifts of the Spirit flowing and all this great stuff, and they also had other things Peter, uh, Paul rather, rebuked them for. But Corinth 
was a wicked city. It was full of immorality. It was a wealthy city, and it was wickedly immoral, kind of like Greater Vancouver, amen? Um, I really am trying to be encouraging, but let's face it, the city we live in is not just all on board and favorable to the program of the kingdom of God. Anybody notice that? Right, okay. So, even if it's not encouraging, you understand I'm telling the truth. The gospel influenced societies and cultures far more than would have seemed likely. By the, uh, by the early 4th century AD, uh, Rome's emperor Constantine converted to Christ. And some have said hmm, his conversion was dubious, but by the time he was on his deathbed, he apparently truly did realize you know, this is it, and he called out to God. But in his time, he Christianized the empire that had once said, no, it's Christians that are destroying Rome. Now here's somebody saying, we're going to be Christian. He recognized, the, and it, I won't go into it, but there was a, in one significant battle, something extraordinary happened that he realized that there was a great God, that there, there were uh, forces at work beyond just human forces. And he impacted society, really, through to this day. And there's stuff in decline, but what took place, really, God impacted it, the gospel impacted society, but brought it through this person. That is a pretty significant thing for the gospel which is not primarily political, to do. During America's formative years, lawyers had to study theology first before they did their bar exam. They would study the Bible. They'd study Christian theology. So, of course, not a perfect system. You got people in it, so there's, you know, sinners in there. But what a delight to think that lawyers would be shaped by a biblical worldview and not just the kind of thing we have now where what is stuff founded upon, rooted in? You know, it's like, I would take that. You know, people who are establishing laws, understanding the biblical reality before they start establishing laws, that's a good thing. That's, that's a, uh, a culture shaping things. Anyway, back to the thought. Just preach the gospel and get people saved. <clears throat> Justice and righteousness accompany the true gospel. They sometimes lay the groundwork for it or come after it, uh, after the preaching of it. We have to live the gospel and model it. Amen? We have to model it. And not just in the way of, you know, be kind or, um, you know, don't be immoral. You know, those kinds of things. But also, uh, you know, standing for the most vulnerable. Even, you know, when it doesn't benefit us. Brian Thompson, he's, he's going. He told me when he goes to Africa right now and takes a team, I forget, it was something like eight COVID tests they have to take. They have to take one before leaving Canada. They arrive in, I think he said it was Mozambique. They have to take one. Then before they get on their little commuter flight to go to wherever the next 
uh, place was uh, where the orphanage is. They have to take another one. They have to do this. Like all of these things. It isn't just, you know, fun for them, but they're willing to do it because of the, the reward of ministering to these kids, raising kids that are otherwise just society's castaways. And so that's a way of modeling the gospel. It was, always was, that the gospel influenced people and cultures. People who were, it was gospel-influenced people who brought about, largely, the end of the Western slave trade. William Wilberforce and others with him. People convicted and gripped by the gospel who stood up. It's, it's, it's a, an incredible gaslighting that that kind of thing gets thrown at Christians. Like, oh, your Bible talks about slavery. Hey, it was this same Bible that speaks about what was the norm in society. It was people influenced by that same book that brought an end to the Western slave trade. That largely brought about this shift in culture. And I want to follow in their footsteps. I want to do something a lot like them. It's, it's up to us. I, I wonder if they faced some of the same things. I wonder if William Wilberforce heard, would you just get off of this thing in the British Parliament? Would you get off of this thing? You're a Christian. Get people saved. We're, we're here to preach the gospel, not do something as political as getting involved in the slave trade. And I don't know if you've seen, there was a movie about William Wilberforce at one point where he took a tour of people past a slave boat. And all of a sudden, everybody on the boat, and this was parked in London, the people are going, my goodness, what is that stench? What is that vile smell? And he took them there on purpose so that they'd see the ugliness of what was going on. This boat filled with people that weren't allowed to get off and they're languishing in their own filth and these kinds of things. And he took them there to impact their soul. I've seen some horrible, horrible things about this, about the unborn. Dreadful things. Images. And some of them impacted me in a good way. Because before I was saved, that kind of meant nothing to me. I assumed they're doing it in the hospital. It's a good thing. It must be okay. I got saved and realized, yeah, that's an actual child. And greatly convicted. And I say that. I don't think I've ever told our church, but my girlfriend, when I was in my late teens and early 20s, had two abortions. I would have two kids about your age, Cherise. That's mind-boggling to me. I'd have two children about 40 years old. And it was just like, this was just a procedure. And there was something about actually realizing what took place after I was a believer. (laughs) You know, that, that broke me that there are two kids that I will join in heaven at some point. But they never got to see the light of day. 
There's a lot of ugliness in the world and God wants to use a gospel-fueled, gospel-inspired, gospel-transformed people to bring change. Not just preach the gospel as in preach forgiveness of sins. And hey, I want to just say, anybody in here who's had an abortion, there is forgiveness in God. Just so that nobody would think, oh, Gosh, I'm so condemned by this. Nope. I I don't live any longer in shame about it. Not because it wasn't a shameful thing, but because Jesus washed me clean. And he's able to redeem it. And I know that he loves me like he loves those two children that are there. Like he loved my girlfriend back all those decades ago. And he wants all men to be saved. Amen? So if that's something that somebody's carrying around, let me tell you, there's, there's forgiveness in God. All of this to say the good news of Jesus Christ must be spoken and it must be shown. It's easy to see how building an orphanage or giving food or clothing to the poor shows the gospel. That's maybe almost easy, but what about something like running for public office? so that you can shape culture. Or calling somebody in public office and saying, hey, there's an injustice here. I'd like to speak with you about this. Uh, you know, can we... I, uh, why not? Uh, if we don't... If we don't influence the influencers, somebody else will, that doesn't share our point of view maybe has a completely ugly point of view that, hey, you know, you lost a couple of, you know, fetuses, two clumps of cells. You know, that's nothing, dude. Get over it. Maybe there's people that have that kind of view and they're the ones influencing. So we better be. Amen? Get a word in there. I like to do it. What about being part of a parent advisory council or a parent advisory meeting? When you look at what's happening in our education system... I'm, I, I told you this would be encouraging. I encourage you to get involved and say something. Say, hey, listen, I don't want you telling my kid that somehow they need to repent because they were born white. What? Or telling my kid that, oh, maybe since you're a girl and you once played with a toy truck, you might be a boy. Oh, gosh. Are you serious? It's there. I am serious, actually. What about getting involved in shaping that culture? Because they've gotten out in front of us, and our universities are filled with brainwashing. They're brainwashing young people going into education. Hey, God bless you, Taraz. Young teachers who see Jesus at the... We need it. We're, We're behind the game here. They're out in front of us. I want to impact culture. And there's some of it, we're in a place now in a, that, that is very contrary to the gospel. Take coffee to a prostitute, but also if you can, maybe you can influence society so that young girls and boys aren't getting enslaved and drawn into that filthy thing in our culture. Amen? Amen. Are you guys having fun with this or is this... You know, I'm, I'm sorry, this, I feel like since we're on it, we're going to cover some of these things. It's awfully quiet in here. Somebody says, 
Doesn't God, you know, we heard this when we've been involved in some of these things. I want to build bridges, not walls. Or the big one. Uh, no. First, other things like, I want to be for something, not against something. Or, we're for love. We want to show love. Hey, when somebody's trafficking little kids, it's love to intervene and save those kids. Amen? That is love. When somebody's telling lies to little girls so they go and get a surgery, like a double mastectomy and this kind of stuff, it's love to stand up and say, no, 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 no. What you're telling them is a lie, is not true. We, we need to be people that are influencing our neighbors and influencing our culture. Amen? That is love. We, want, we are for something. I'm for people. And often when I'm for something, I'm for freedom, so I'm against slavery. I'm for people being healthy. Therefore, I'm against young girls being addicted to drugs and walking the street. I'm against that because I'm for something. When, when something bad is happening, somebody's oppressed, I want to be for them. Truly seeing them set free. Amen? We want to be those kind of people. Uh, you know, Jesus had dinner. People say, oh, Jesus, friend of sinners. He had dinner with tax collectors and prostitutes. Guess what? He didn't just have dinner with them and say, you know, yeah, what you're doing is all A-OK. Hey, you do you. come on I mean I think there's probably times he didn't get invited back at times he probably didn't get invited back but he didn't you know sit down with tax collectors and just say hey man how much are you making you've been scamming the shirt off these people and yeah you know good on you you know I said it to the prostitute I'll say it to you do you man do it well you know (laughs) No way. And prostitutes. And, you know, this, he was with them. I imagine, uh, one girl I knew when I first got saved, she said, man, Jesus really destroys your sin life. Like, you just can't enjoy some of the things you enjoyed before. It's like, you know, man, he, once he's in there, it's like, Oh, man, you know, we did this. This was so much fun before, and this sucks. <laughs> you know, it's, it, he ruins it, and thank God he does. Amen? Thank God he does. God loves us. So, demanding that authorities address pornography and child pornography and the exploitation of children and sex trafficking and all the filth that's associated and linked together in that, demanding that our, that our society address that kind of thing is love. To say to a school board, stop spreading lies and twisted, unwholesome views to mere children. Contrary to the values that parents have and don't even tell the parents. Okay, that's just wrong. We need to influence society so that's not happening. And we're going to experiment on your kids. No, you're not. We need to at least slow down where it's going. Like Rose has said to me at times with some of the stuff going on these days, it looks almost like the... The dark, the darkness is winning every battle. 
But who knows what it would look like if we weren't praying and standing in the place. And who knows that we can't pull out a Jehoshaphat kind of victory. The army looks like it covers the land like the sand of the sea. But Jehoshaphat sends out the singers first and they begin to worship and God begins to shake things and all of a sudden the whole army is just obliterated by the singers. (laughs) It's like, you know what, I never liked those musicians. Let's send them out there first. (laughs) You know, let's get them out there. In in, um, Psalm 97.10, it says, um, Hate evil, you who love the Lord. Hate evil. In in Proverbs 8.13, it says, The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. And he continues on saying, Pride and arrogance and every evil way, and the perverted mouth I hate. That's the inspired word of God. Amos 5.15, this one's for our generation. He says, Hate evil, love good. And establish justice in the gate. Perhaps the Lord of hosts may be gracious to the remnant of Joseph. And then he carries on. He says a lot of other great things. But hate evil, love good, establish justice. We still have the same thing. In order to set this as a culture where people can live in godliness and dignity. Disapproving of wickedness is not only acceptable good and acceptable, it's prophetic and necessary and loving. Because in every case where wickedness is flourishing, someone is being oppressed. So we need to stand up. We can do it. Usually usually the majority is being oppressed. But for us, we, while we still have some modicum of freedom in our land, we can and we should stand up and speak.